Future Sense is a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name, broadcast on Bay FM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Hosted by Nick Jeans and well-known international futurist Steve McDonald, Future Sense provides a fresh, deep analysis of global trends and emergent technologies. How can we identify the layers of growth, personally, socially, and globally? What are the signs missed, the truths being denied? Science, history, politics, psychology, ancient civilizations, alien contact, the new psychedelic revolution, cryptocurrency, and other disruptive and distributed technologies, and much more. This is Future Sense. It's just gone at 10 o'clock here on Future Sense with myself, Nick Jeans, and Steve McDonald. And you may know that uh, two days ago was the 70th anniversary of the book 1984 being released and uh, rather relevant in terms of every, everything we're doing. And you may also know that the sales of the book surged in 2013 after Edward Snowden's revelations about state-sponsored mass surveillance and again following Donald Trump's inauguration as U.S. president in 2017. So rather interesting that and um, much to learn from that book 70 years ago and uh, things we haven't learnt yet. Yeah, and what an amazing insight to be yeah. able to put that into writing Seriously. You know, all those years ago to, to yeah. see it coming. What, uh, what an amazing foresight. Yes, yeah, beyond prophetic in a way uh, to, to, to know. And it's, it's important to, to know that you know, arts, culture, that which we share as human beings on this planet in such an amazing way, the way we actually can express ourselves when it comes down to those things close to the bone, to, to reality, that we actually can, writers can predict in, without knowing it, can see, can know, can write about, can uh, create art about things that are, that are coming, and um, we should pay more attention, I think, to those, those uh, expositions that people bring forward. I was reading in an article about the anniversary just recently that he, he didn't write it as a prediction. You know, he said it wasn't a prediction. Right. It was just a warning, mm. a warning about mm. what might happen. We, yes, what he said, uh, exactly what he said, you will always have man trying to control man, and that's essentially what he was warning us about. He said his, that's his son saying that, actually. Yeah. yeah. We're going to talk now about six conditions required for transformational change, and we're living in a time where transformational change is indicated. It's becoming, slowly becoming clearer and clearer that we cannot continue to live the way that we have lived with the values and the behaviours uh, that have mm. been dominant globally, things mm. must change, and they they must not change in a small way, but in a transformational way. And the more we understand change itself and how the process works and the signs that we can look for to understand where we are within the process, then uh, the better we can put that knowledge into practice and the easier it can be to navigate change, whether we're talking about personal change or uh, operating as a change agent and trying to support change in the wider world to the same principles and these same conditions apply. So this is from the work of uh, Dr. Claire W. Graves and it came out of nine years of field research and an awful lot of data analysis, not simply mm. by him but from a, a team of seven other people that he had looking for patterns within the data that he collected. And uh, it's important to understand that this is, uh, you know, it's a, it's a hard scientific study, as hard as, as uh, you know, psychology can get, I guess, <laughs> in terms of looking at evidence and uh, just simply pointing out patterns within the evidence rather than, you know, dreaming up uh, fantastical ideas. And Graves, of course, uh, at one point during a public talk, he, I think it was when he was announcing his, his uh, model, his theory that he put together, um, you know, said he didn't stand on Mount Sinai and receive, receive this information from Jehovah. It came from hard evidence that he collected. 
for years and years and years, in fact. Uh, Exactly, years and years and years. So the six conditions. uh, Now, these conditions themselves will vary depending on your starting point. So whatever your your current worldview is and what you're changing from to will make subtle differences, you know, in how these conditions apply, but they are essentially common conditions that you can find in any change process that involves human beings. And the first one is that there needs to be the potential for change. The potential must exist. In other words, is the change within reach? Is it something that's possible? Or are we asking somebody to change too much, Mm. too quickly? So it means that something has to be in the person uh, in order to change, that's to be actually, you know, you can't force a person to change who just doesn't resonate with no, the potential. Has to, potential. Yeah. To, to give an extreme example, let's take the example of a small child, say like mm. a child who's just like 18 months old. And uh, if you, we want to make the child do something which is just beyond the reach of a small child, you know, for example, you know, operate a com- complex piece of machinery, the potential isn't there w- within that person to do that. So mm. that's an extreme example, but, you know, I think that helps mm. you, people understand the general idea is the potential's got to be there. It's got to be possible. Uh, otherwise, of course, you're asking people to do the impossible. So the potential has to be present mm. first and foremost. Mm. Um, and these conditions, as we go through them, you can think of of them in relation to yourself yeah. and any change process that you might be going through at the moment. But also, you know, think about the wider world. Think about the biggest issues that we're facing uh, as a species, things like climate change, you know, the transformation of the way that we govern ourselves, the transformation of our social systems like our economic systems and those sorts of things. Medical systems, everything. E- everything. Mm. You know, is the potential there to change? Mm. And uh, that also speaks to whether the change is possible in the short term or whether it needs to be a much much longer term process which with with waypoints in between you know rather than just changing from this Mm. to that you know does it need to be a process that drags out over a decade or two in order to make it possible Mm. so is the potential there the second condition is that the basic problems of life must be solved so when we have to go through a change process we need excess capacity and energy available for the change process itself including most importantly time to stop and think about the change and uh, it reminds me of the old saying you know you, you can't drain the swamp when you've got alligators snapping at your heels that's the polite version and it's important too to recognize that we actually have solved a lot of problems in this era that were created by the previous era and many many people have been brought out of poverty around the world for one simple example that we mentioned before and there are many examples uh, our technology itself has solved a lot of problems has created a lot of uh, a lot of freedom or possibilities um, or for many people uh, people who didn't have uh, access to the system as a whole so you know that's that's the thing now is um yeah uh, the solutions uh, problems but now we've created a whole raft of new ones which can't be solved in the same way we have and we need to have our basic needs met to have the energy to go through a change process and so whether we're we're thinking about ourselves or whether we're thinking about uh, acting as a change agent within society we need to look at the life conditions and make an assessment okay do we have the basic things under control here you know if i'm worrying 90% of my time about where my next dollar is going to come from and whether I can afford to put food on the table, I'm not going to be thinking about wider issues. You know, I'm mm. not going to be thinking about the problems faced by my local community or the world as a whole because right now most of my attention is going into putting bread on the table so I can eat. And as a change agent, when we're looking to change, we need to pay attention to people's life conditions. Yep. And it's no 
there's no point in urging somebody who's in that circumstance that I just described to start, you know, thinking about recycling their trash and those sorts of things because they just haven't got the capacity there to actually think about those things. You know, there are much more urgent issues that need attending uh, to. Well, we saw this in the recent federal election, of course, in that the inner cities of most uh, most cities uh, voted tended to vote uh, along the lines of um, uh, Labor or Green, and particularly with regards to climate instability, climate change. Um, being a major factor there because in some ways those uh, elites, if you will, if not elites, but certainly people who are in the cities who probably have a pretty good lifestyle, have a solid job and uh, perhaps a little bit more security and safety in some ways, uh, are able to think about these things and able to vote that way. Whereas in Queensland and other places, in rural places, it's all about simply survival now. It's about just jobs and they don't really have time to think in the same way as you're saying about the bigger issues of the planet. It doesn't, it's not relevant to them right in their life conditions in this moment. No, and, and for those people who are comfortable enough to have all of their basic needs met, mm. you know, and uh, they have the, the headspace to be thinking about these larger problems and how we tackle them, it just highlights the importance of bringing everybody with us yeah. during the change process. You know, there's no point in a small percentage of people leaving the rest of humanity behind because it's not going to solve the problems on a, on a large scale. Um, certainly, I, I guess it does speak to the fact that those people who do have their basic problems under control are in a much better idea to understand and tackle these larger issues and then develop strategies. But those strategies have to consider all life conditions for all people and how we build a, a whole systems change strategy here, which is going to take care of that and allow people to be gradually lifted up out of those more difficult conditions into a more comfortable space. Mm. Take a breath, folks, because that's a big point. It's a very big that's point. That's a very big point. And, of, of course, I immediately think if you've got small children out there, you're probably thinking, we need to change now because my kids in 10 years are going to be facing some really big things, if not 20 years. And you're right. But at the same time, we need a much more considered response as best we can within our own situation, how we're situated. And that's going to come from understanding the change process and, and educating people about the change process, uh, these sorts of things we're talking yep. about. The third condition is one that we've been talking about uh, in the first half of this mm. show, which was there must be a feeling of dissonance. So there must be a feeling for an individual that something's not right in my world. Mm. Okay? Uh, and ideally, when we f have that feeling that something's not right, if we understand the change process, we can immediately link it to the need for change. And when we go through the, the trajectory of change, as, uh, as we've said earlier in the, in the previous half of the show, it takes us from a point of stability through that dissonance and often down into a place of chaos where we're being tumbled yeah. by the change process, tossed around and experiencing chaos, things are falling apart. And that is the, the trajectory of revolutionary change where basically, uh, reality gives us a kick up the backside and says, hey, <laughs> mm. you didn't take notice of the early signs, so here's a kick up the mm. backside to, to actually make it happen. Um, and we can avoid the turbulent, or we can avoid the chaos rather, uh, if we're conscious enough of the change process and we know that as soon as we feel that dissonance, as soon as we feel that something's not right, then we pay attention and we know that something has to change and we look for what that is. You know, we, mm. we look for... for potential changes within our field mm. um, and that's a very important difference between conscious and, and unconscious change you know if we're unconscious in the change process we we wake up one morning something doesn't feel right um, and so we start to think back 
to the way things used to be when we did feel right and we go down that regressive value search mm. trying to find an answer and then that creates the tension it drags us into the chaos and we go through the very very difficult change process but if we know straight away okay this feeling of dissonance is actually a sign for me that something's not right i've fallen out of tune with the environment with my life conditions somehow and i need to retune and often you know that can simply come from stopping and being still uh, and and literally retuning you know yeah. at an energetic level yeah. uh, to to gain an insight as to how things can change so this it's it's a what you call a bifurcation point this feeling of dissonance it can go one of two ways bifurcation folks that means forking 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 with an o exactly forking. thank you uh, you can you can go from the dissonance down into the chaos or you can go along the evolutionary change path where you take notice of the dissonance, you know that it means something needs to change, yeah. and so you pay attention and be conscious of mm. participating in that change process and tuning into whatever. And that's been very much uh, a project of, I guess you could say, on the positive side of, of loosely put the new age and self-development work that many people in this era in the last, especially since the 60s or so, in the first yeah. sort of iteration of this new, uh, this new moment that we're entering now, um, you know, started to look at themselves and started to find ways to, to work on that distance within themselves. How can I change myself inside in order to make a better world? Yeah, mm. yeah, exactly. So the fourth condition for successful transformational change is gaining insights into what's next for you or what's next for the, the social group that you might be working within as a change agent. And in, in a transformational sense, uh, what this really means is uh, movement of your consciousness into a more complex layer, uh, you know, on the on the consciousness on the uh, spectrum of human consciousness, mm -hmm. and it, that's very difficult initially when you're starting the change process because by definition you can't see that, you know, you, you don't have access to it. It's something that you have to literally change into in the same way that a caterpillar yeah. changes into a butterfly. Yeah. And the, you know, the, the, I'm sure the old caterpillar doesn't uh, see the butterfly coming when that process begins. Um, nor, does the, the, nor does the frog in the boiling water. No, no, that, that's right, that's right. Um, and the, you know, the frog in the boiling water is a very interesting case because the, that sort of little parable or, or mm. story has evolved to yeah. to show people how. Um, sometimes change can happen in the most subtle ways and sometimes the, you don't experience that dissonance until the last minute, you know. It's like things slowly change, slowly change and sure you'll feel things changing but you don't pay much attention, mm. you don't think about where it's going and then all of a sudden you're boiled. Mm. Yeah. I mean, would you say that's because that's not, you're not acting then, you're responding to eventually when you wake up and go, oh, this is happening. Yeah. Is that revolutionary then or is it a, a sort of speed up of the evolutionary change? Well, I mean, it becomes revolutionary yeah. in the moment where the boiling begins, right? Uh, literally, the you know the liquid goes from from just being warm to actually boiling. So that that's a revolutionary transformation mm. in itself. Mm. Um, and the the story is about not paying attention to the early signs, you know, not which yeah. comes back to the feeling of dissonance. Yes, not knowing that when things start to feel warmer, it's actually okay. Uh, I need to pay attention here to what's actually going on, you know. I, I and and if I don't pay attention, if I just keep sitting here in the water. 
then the revolution's going to be upon me and mm. then it's going to be you know a very very quick process and obviously a lot of people are quite happy in our societies to to deny the dissonance to not look at the dissonance to not allow themselves to feel the dissonance and to carry on regardless and then wonder why lives world is collapsing around them things are not working out and they might be popping up in all sorts of ways their children acting out in some way that's extreme or all sorts of manifestations of people actually avoiding the distance that actually is at the core of their being perhaps and just not wanting to go there not wanting to see it not wanting to receive it yes mm. yeah yeah very true so in terms of gaining insights there are change models now and you know, claire graves model that we talk about on this show is just one of many many different yeah. models and uh, I, i've lost count of how many other developmental psychology studies there are now which really fit with Claire Graves' findings. I mean, we're talking about human nature, and human nature is, is uh, you know, at the core of every one of these models. So they they all they're all going to be similar in some ways. It's yeah. just that Graves uh, tends to be a, a fairly complex and insightful model, which is why we talk about it instead of some of the other ones out there. But there are many others yeah. out there, and they all tell basically the same story in different ways or different parts of the same story. And by studying those, and and so you know, if we educated people formally about these change models then we would have a more widespread understanding of how people change, how we change as individuals. Mm. And the things that, the signs that we can look for and the insights that come from the models themselves, which can indicate to us, they can be signposts to us as to where we're headed. And one of the mm. most simple patterns in the, in the change process looking at human consciousness is this pendulum swing that occurs from a focus on individual, individuality to a focus on community. You know, focus on uh, being an individual in the world, being focused on changing the world around you to suit yourself, as opposed to the opposite side of the pendulum swing, which is uh, a focus on being part of a community and adapting yourself to fit with what the world needs from you. Mm. Yeah. And so that's a, a very simple but a very useful indicator. Uh, when we start to feel ourselves uh, in a dissonant place, we get a sense that, okay, I, I, I seem to be approaching some sort of significant change here or going through one. We can ask ourselves, how have I been living in the years prior to this? Have I been living with a focus on changing the world around me as an individual acting in the world? Or have I been living in community, absorbed in community, and had an inner focus on changing myself internally? You know, and, and the answer to that question will give you an insight into where you're headed next because it's going to be the opposite to where you've been. Right. And, of course, you, you may be doing both. However, uh, there's a weight to one, isn't it? Because, you know... There'll be a dominant. There'll be a dominant, yes. So seek out the dominant one. Yeah, there'll be a dominant mm. theme. And you're quite right. You know, people are complex and different aspects of our yep. lives will fall into those two different categories. Yeah. Uh, but there'll be one dominant system which which is you know, overriding mm. and and your dominant way of being in the world. And when we look at the globe now and we look at human society, we can see that there are people living according to both of those ways in many, many different ways around the world. But mm. the overall dominant global paradigm has been one of individuality for the yeah. last 300-odd years. Yeah, absolutely. And it's also been one of changing the world to suit us. Yeah, as well. You're resonating right now on Future Sense with Steve McDonald and Nick Jeans. You are tuned to Future Sense. It's 10.27 here with myself, Nick Jeans, and Steve McDonald through to 11 o'clock, at which point pregnancy, birth, and beyond is in the house. We're talking today about uh, dissonance, cognitive dissonance, and uh, the many issues and uh, challenges on the planet and uh, how we feel about it and what we can do about it and the, the prerequisites 
for, for real change to occur. And so far we've covered three of six conditions that are required for effective transformational change to take place. And they are firstly the potential for change. So there has to be potential within the person or within the system to affect the change that's necessary. The second thing is that the basic problems of life need to be solved. So if people are fully consumed attending to basic survival issues, for example, they don't have the time to even contemplate more sophisticated change. And mm. so we have to take care of the, the basic things first. Mm. And the third condition is that there must be a feeling of dissonance. In other words, a feeling that something isn't right. This is the evolutionary tension that we often talk about, a feeling that something in my world must change or has to change. And then fourthly, there needs to be some insight into how that change can take place. What's next for you or what's next for the group that you might be trying to help change? You know, how can I be different? How can I act differently in the world? Uh, what's possible? So we might, at this point, just look at, a, at some examples from everyday life uh, of these four conditions. And I think we'll pick probably the most difficult topic that we could pick of all topics. And, uh -oh. that, and that is climate change. Uh, and let's just have a look at why, given that back in 2006, Al Gore really did change the world in many ways by releasing his movie, his first movie, An Inconvenient Truth. And I understand that he's got a, a sequel uh, coming, or has it already been released, his sequel? I'm not sure. That I don't know, but I think he's actually in Australia at the moment. He is. You're quite right. Mm. Um, actually, it was released, the Inconvenient Sequel, Truth oh, Power, was released okay. on uh, 28th of July, uh, 2017. Oh, a long time, two years but, ago. Uh, I, I can remember, um, I was working as a, as a change agent, a change consultant, uh, and uh, dealing mostly in the corporate world at the time the movie came out, and I can remember feeling like there was a lot of positive uh, change happening as a result of that movie, and, and probably the most simple thing was that the movie was prompting people to think globally. Mm rather than locally and just to stop and consider how we are being and how we are behaving as a species on this planet you know what we're what we're polluting the environment with you know how we're making our energy and how we're um, relating to nature in general you know how, how do we regard nature what is our relationship with nature do we see ourselves as a part of nature or is nature something separate from us and are we doing something to it that we shouldn't be doing all of those sorts of questions mm. were raised and, yeah. and I think at the time it, it was a, it was good timing and it was a very uh, thoughtful event you know that that prompted a lot of change in a lot of people and why is it then that here in 2019, people are still having this same argument. Most governments in the world haven't taken any haven't taken any significant action towards the kinds of things that we indicated in the film. And uh, we have, you know, on, on Twitter, one of the latest hashtags is climate brawl. Oh, really? Where, where I haven't people, seen that one. Yeah, it's it's one of the latest hashtags okay. where you know people are openly in conflict about whether this is happening with the climate or whether that is happening with the climate. So why is that so? Yeah. Let's look back at those first four conditions that we've spoken about, and uh, and just see how they apply to this particular issue. So um, first and foremost, for anything to change, whether it be an individual or a, or a large scale system or a whole species, there needs to be potential for the change to occur and uh, that potential in in terms of human behavior human nature um, it applies very much to whatever the dominant value system is whatever the worldview is that a person is living from and 
these in Claire Graves' model is a spectrum of, of eight different worldviews and it's an open-ended system so there would be more than eight but that was all that he saw when he did his research and those range from very very simple worldviews to very very complex worldviews they're driven by the life conditions that you're surrounded by so it's not really about whether you're a good person or a bad person or, or good at this or bad at that it's about the complexity of your life conditions and what they're demanding of your level of consciousness and so the more complex the problems are that you face then the more complex worldview that you may grow into and, and operate from and so as our worldviews um, expand up this spectrum of complexity our scope of interest expands and our perspective on things changes and so it's really only when we reach around about layer five that we really have a, a fully global perspective on things. So anyone who's living in a layer of, or living from rather a layer of consciousness lower than that is more focused on, you know, rather immediate issues in their life. Survival or whatever. Yeah, and, you know, survival right down at the bottom of the spectrum, absolutely, mm. yeah. And that has been the way really for a couple of hundred thousand years. I have an article in front of me here from PBS in America talking about, uh, and it's entitled, How Your Brain Stops You From Taking Climate Change Seriously. And a simple quote to begin with here, part of the reason it takes us so long to act is because the human brain has spent nearly 200,000 years focused on the present, on just, as you're saying, on the early stages of consciousness and evolution, just having to deal with the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. How am I gonna eat? How am I gonna survive, et cetera, et cetera, stay warm. And uh, so it's a, it's a big jump for the brain itself for many people to make the leap to start projecting seven generations in the future, for example, as the American Indians and others used to do. It is. And, and this is why, you know, if you're an activist standing in the street and you're trying to sell subscriptions to, you know, whatever it might be to uh, support climate change or looking after animals or whatever, you approach people and some people are just so immersed in their most immediate issues and, yeah. you know, life not, might not be comfortable at all for them. Mm. The last thing they want to do is to talk to you mm. about buying a subscription to, you know, mm. save panda bears in, in Asia or something like that because their more, their more immediate issues are far more important to them, mm. you know, to, to the point sometimes of, of, you know, people feeling like they're not surviving adequately. Mm. And so... The, there is no potential for those folks to change sufficiently to embrace these larger issues until their most basic needs are met. So in those people, potential doesn't even exist right there, but in others, of course, it does exist. And that's the key here is that for some people, the potential, that first condition will exist as they're faced with these, with these challenges. And for some people, they will not be ready to respond to those. That's right. And, and the dissonance won't occur in somebody who is living from a, a value set uh, or a worldview that's focused on smaller scale issues either. Mm. So, and I, I guess national governments are one example of this. You know, one of the reasons why national governments haven't put a priority on acting globally is because they're all about acting nationally. You know, that's, that's what they've been designed to do. The systems that they run are all designed around that principle that you know our government is all about our country. The national interest, as John na- Howard put on the agenda, that phrase which took over really for all those years, yeah. the Howard government, the national interest. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what we need to pay, pay attention to first and foremost. And so if you're asking us to do something that's going to damage our national interest, for example, you know, degrade our industrialization or something like that, mm. then, you know, it just doesn't fit. And so um, there's an absence of dissonance there. You know, they, they don't, they're not going to feel that something's not right and the country needs to change um, when you're asking them to change in a way that's actually going to damage the country. I mean, it's creating a dissonance in that respect 
to them. And so this is another reason why action hasn't happened mm. on a global scale because we really haven't developed uh, into any significant kind of global culture where we all feel that we're a part of something and we're all acting together you know, for that thing, mm. being the planet. And again, we kind of want that revolution rather than evolution. We want the speedy, we want the now, we're so focused on what's going on today and tomorrow and not really very far in the, in the future that it's very hard to actually think uh, that way for many people. So stay where you are and until something else shifts, I guess, is, is what's going to happen there. Yeah, and this is why my focus in my work has been for many, many years on understanding human consciousness and how human consciousness transforms because it's only when consciousness itself transforms that people's perspectives expand and their values shift and so the process of of getting more people to understand and act in favor of global scale issues is also a process of helping people expand their consciousness in fact the consciousness expansion drives all of the other things, the, the values, the interests, the motivations, the actions. And as this same article talks on the reverse of that, our minds, regardless of one's political or socioeconomic status, uh, that's just that a little bit with what we're talking about here, are constantly looking for ways to tell ourselves that business as usual is okay. News of disappearing glaciers falls uh, fails to inspire serious change because of this cognitive shield. Indeed, certain efforts to educate only harden partisanship on the issue. That's a big one. It is a big one, and uh, you know something else that creates dissonance and puts barriers in place to change is the fact that pretty much all of the the dire predictions that have been made by Al Gore and you know everybody else who was acting in concert with him uh, around this issue when it became such a global issue have been wrong. Yeah. And that creates dissonance in people. It's, it's okay, well, yeah, I'm interested in, you know, looking after the world and looking after humanity, but you're giving me information that's clearly wrong here. Yeah, it's interesting. A, a report just two days ago from America, the National Park Service has removed all the signs that used to say, glaciers gone by 2020 at uh, the Glacier National Park in Montana after larger than average snowfall over several winters. And of course, many people think the glaciers are all melting, all the ice is melting, but it's much more complex than that. And it's not just all in one direction. This is a major key thing that we have to become more cognizant of as we go forward. It is, absolutely. And the other thing that's happening at the moment is as we are already entering into this uh, global paradigm shift, and part of that process is regressing back to older values uh, and you know this is really a result of not understanding the change process but being tumbled around mm. by it then our our cognitive processes are being simplified with the regression in values so at the the modern scientific industrial uh, layer of consciousness we have a pretty complex cognitive capacity where we can look at many, many different options and analyze data and, and choose the best option. And it's, it's actually quite a complex way of thinking, complex enough to get us to the moon and back. But what's happened with the regression in values is that we've shifted back into a very black and white yeah. linear cognitive process where rather than looking at the detail and analyzing the detail of an issue and looking for different options within an issue, we've regressed back to what is essentially a kind of old-fashioned religious mindset where something is regarded as right and anything that doesn't fit with that something is regarded as wrong and actually shouldn't be regarded at all. 
and we've seen this process play out in in our scientific world where uh, people who come up with evidence that might point to greater complexity within the operation of the climate system rather than a, just a, a very simple linear warming process uh, are being uh, heavily criticised and attacked and their science has been suppressed. You know, there have been lots and lots of examples where science that doesn't fit with this one right way of um, you know of thinking about things hasn't been allowed uh, to be published in you know in various journals there are lots of examples of that yes an example we came across uh, and it is a financial example and I do uh, you know I want to sort of mitigate the directness of this by saying that because uh, you know economics is one aspect that needs to be looked at of course and it's a major one uh, but uh, from this article from Business Financial Post, uh, Roger Pielke, a little story, Roger Pielke Jr. is a scientist at the University of Colorado in Boulder, who up until a few years ago did world-leading research on climate change and extreme weather. He found convincing evidence that climate change was not leading to higher rates of weather-related damages worldwide. That's the economic moment there. Once you correct for increasing population and wealth... He also helped convene major academic panels to survey the evidence and communicate the near-unanimous scientific consensus on this topic to policymakers, according to this article. For his efforts, Pialki was subjected to a vicious, well-funded smear campaign backed by, among others, the Obama White House and leading Democratic congressmen, culminating in his decision in 2015 to quit the field of climate change and extreme weather research. Now we'll we'll post all these links, by the way, on uh, on our Facebook page and on our um, on, on Twitter and everywhere else that we can. Um, so you check them out for yourself and do your own research. We always say that on this program because we're not telling you that this is the truth, but this is another angle that perhaps has been denied and uh, and you know just trying to avoid the complexity of the of the situation that we're actually in. Yeah, one of uh, one of the things that's indicated that's really really clear is first and foremost that climate is. A significant threat and climate change is a significant threat the I think the thing one of the things we need to be aware of is this tendency to regress back to older values and simpler ways of thinking where we just want to shut down anybody who's not actually you know fitting with our view are you with us or against us as George W Bush famously said back then exactly and as we've often said on this show the very best thing we can do at this time in history mm. is remain open-minded mm. and remain open to all of the evidence and considering all of the evidence even though it may not be clear you know and it may may not be a simple decision and climate is, is not a the climate system is not a simple system it's a complex very very complex system that we simply don't understand understand well enough yet and we need to be open to new understandings uh, and um, shutting shutting ourselves down uh, is actually one of the worst things that we can do because it makes it much more likely that we will be subjected to a revolutionary change that we just don't see coming yeah yeah, I mean, there's so many uh, factors that, that feed into this, of course, and uh, I just want to draw attention, if you haven't seen it, to an article just the other day about the, the clearing of Brazilian rainforest, 740 square kilometres of rainforest cleared in 30 days by the Bolsonaro government, which is looking like a seriously uh, difficult problem on the planet. I mean, one could say for sure in that very significant, large, populated and magnificent country of the Amazon rainforest, and that loss of rainforest, I mean, this is, a, this is, this is, these are the things and the poisons we put in the environment, the poisons in our food, all these issues. It's, we need to look at the whole picture of how we, uh, how we actually relate, in a sense, to the planet in order to really face the challenges that we, we do right now. And be as open-minded as we can. And be as open-minded as we can. Yeah. Yeah. For all of you out there, strangers in a strange land, you're grokking future sense. Here 
on BayFM. 10.47 here on Future Sense with Steve McDonald and myself, Nick Jeans, and 11 o'clock pregnancy, birth and beyond. And we're closing up our discussion on dissonance in the world. Many issues. Thanks for your many texts. I can't get to them all. Um, but yes, thank you for engaging. Keep doing it. And one question which was asked, what was the track I played at 10.23? That was a track called uh, Alaya Lee by Alfida. I found the other day. A-L-F-I-D-A is the artist. And Alaya or Alaya Lee is the track. Yeah. And uh, of course, if you just heard there, Catch the Wind from Donovan, thought I'd do a bit of retro. Oh, do a little bit of retro music here. It's that time. It's that time. Time for retro. Red time for retro. Let's go backwards now. So we're talking about six conditions required for transformational change. We've covered four so far, and they are there must be the potential for change existing in the person or the system. The second thing is that the basic problems uh, must already be solved. So if people are, are um, up to their neck in basic issues, they haven't got time to think and give energy to change. The third one is there must be a feeling of dissonance in the person, so they must be feeling that something's not right and therefore there's some energy accumulating that's going to drive change there. And the fourth point is that uh, we must have access to insights about how things can be different, how a system can change or how we can change, how we, how we can live life differently. Mm. And the, uh, the next uh, condition is about barriers to change. So any barriers to change must be addressed, uh, and we, which can mean that we must receive properly timed and administered assistance or perhaps non-interference from people who might be uh, the actual barriers. And it's good to just think about this barriers for change issue in terms of change that's been trying to happen in the world for many years but hasn't happened yet and the reason that that change hasn't happened and whether it's change in yourself or change in some global system is because one of these six conditions or a number of these six conditions haven't been adequately met yet Mm -hmm. so this removal of barriers um, applies for example when people push back on change you know if you're trying to urge somebody to change say you're trying to get a government to change and and you know be kind to the to the environment for example but they're pushing back then you know that that pushback is a signpost to one or more of these conditions not being met you know there is a barrier there of some sort uh, and uh, and so we can assist the change process by understanding why that barrier exists mm-hmm. and considering uh, everything you know including timing and all the other factors that mm-hmm. that apply to these particular barriers uh, and then from that be guided as to whether now is the time to act and you know try and push this tra- change through maybe now is not the time to act and more time is required for something else to happen yeah. to actually remove those barriers before the change can flow forward yeah i mean i i don't know what happened for example up in uh, the galilee basin uh, around the adani um, coal mine and other coal mines there with regards to um, to Bob Brown's convoy going up the the Adani convoy, which of course was a huge uh, event on the way up there in Mullumbimby, and you went there that day, uh, and the possible influence it may have had on some of the election results in terms of uh, that convoy going into those mining towns, those small towns, which are clearly very focused on survival yes. uh, and their jobs and security and all that, right or wrong, um, and trying to, in some sense or other, tell them how to be. Yeah, uh, and I'm sort of you know there'll be some reaction out there because I'm not saying that's the truth, but it is an example of um, coming into someone else's home in a sense of saying you need to be like this now. Yeah, exactly, and I'm sure that 
you know, I, th I think it's fair to say that the coal industry generally is under a lot of pressure at the moment because of the climate change discussion. Yeah. And if you're working in the coal industry, then that pressure trickles down <laughs> to you and the security of your job, you know, putting food on the table. So that's a pretty basic problem that you need to pay attention to. And therefore, you know, those people are not going to really accept the need for change unless the change is crafted in a way that attends to their basic needs. Yeah. So if there is a comprehensive plan to give them some other work or you know employ them in some other way that's going to satisfy them and that, that mm. they're happy with mm. then you know that would remove that particular barrier for example so this is where the, yes. the removal of barriers is a very very important issue and one that most people just don't think about you mm. know they'll people will push against those barriers and push and push and push but not actually think about why the barriers are there in the first place or understand how they might be changed. And of course pushing can be counterproductive, that's the bottom line here. Absolutely it can be and I think that's a good example that you just gave there Nick mm. uh, where there was a big pushback in the uh, in the voting booth. And the sixth point out of our six conditions required for transformational change is an opportunity to opportunity to integrate the change and so this is really applied to when people have been through that most critical part of the change process and they've actually had some insights they've removed the barriers and they have really made some change and now they need time and energy to integrate the change into constructing or, or living out a new way of being applying the changes to their everyday living figuring out how that's going to work uh, and that requires time. And I, I think one of the classic examples of this in the sort of change management industry is you know, taking people out of their normal life conditions to a retreat, putting them through some amazing transformational process. And I know that you've had a lot of experience in this kind of thing, Nick, through the path of love. Uh, and then, of course, people may have a really transformational change, but then when that short intervention ends they go back to the same old life conditions and so often people can just get dragged dragged back down to whatever they were at before they started simply because you know they're, they're immersed back in the same old life conditions with the same old challenges and they have to attend to the, the same old issues mm, yeah exactly oh we're nearly out of time here thanks for your text uh, someone's just written in and said we probably can't comment too much on this but your your six aspects not ours but ours, the six aspects of stages and grounds and dynamics of change that you're presenting are better presented by Buddha's Four Noble Truths. Oh. Hmm. Did they list those Four Noble Truths? I can't remember what they actually are. No, you can I. <laughs> next, next we'll quickly, we Google don't have much time. Though. It's a good question, though. Thank you for that. That's it, really it, good. it is a good, yeah. good question. Yeah. Um, and so uh, let me just run through those six things again, in, just in summary. Uh, there needs to be potential within the person or within the system for the change to occur. It needs to be within reach and not, uh, you know, not something that's impossible. The second point is that the basic problems need to be solved. So if there are more fundamental issues that are unresolved, people are not going to pay, pay attention to mm. changing more complex things. They just can't because they're busy. The third thing is because there's got to be a feeling of dissonance. So people need to feel that tension that something needs to change. Next, they need to have some insight into how it can change, how it's possible, and how it might be after the change occurs. They need to kind of see that light at the end of the tunnel, at least. Any barriers to change need to be removed. So if there are, there are clearly things that are interfering with any attempt to change, or they might be absolute blocks, or you know people are being dragged back down, or there's pushback and those sorts of things, those barriers need to be looked at, they need to be understood and addressed. Mm. And then the sixth point is that once people have actually made some change, 
change, then they need to have an opportunity to integrate that into their own being and into their everyday life. You know, how do they? How are they now in the world? How do they act? How do they behave? How is it going to work? You know, how are they? How are they going to continue into the future, being this new person? Yes, the four noble truths. The four noble truths are the truth of suffering, Ooh. the truth of the origin of suffering, the truth of the cessation of suffering, and the truth of the path to the cessation of suffering. It's all yeah. about suffering. Yeah, yeah. Well, it is in, in that case. And I, and I think, you know, that's probably a reasonable comment. I think that's very relevant and, and from a very, very different perspective talking about the same thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We'll have to leave it there for today. Thanks so much for joining us here on Future Sense. We will be back next Monday morning from 9 to 11. Pregnancy, birth and beyond up next. And, um, yeah, have a great day for your holiday if you are holidaying today in some way or other out there. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. And uh, you will uh, you can check us out at uh, futuresense.it for all the podcasts. We edit the podcasts and uh, make them tighter and, and uh, a little bit shorter so uh, you can listen to it direct straight through. So do that at futuresense.it. And we will also post on our Twitter and other places you will see uh, the various um, uh, links to articles we referred to today. Thanks. See you next week. Cheers. Cheers. You've been listening to Future Sense, a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name broadcast on Bay FM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Future Sense is available on iTunes and SoundCloud. The future is here now. It's just not evenly distributed.